0: You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. And with that, I want to welcome up my friend Albert Hung. Albert is the District Superintendent for the Nazarene denomination in Northern California. Some of you've seen him before, and we're so happy to have him here, and Albert, I'm glad you made it safely over Highway 17, and it's just an honor to have you here speak to speak to us today. So, come on up, brother. Thank you so much. Give him a hand. Come on. Okay. Oh man, I am just so excited about what is happening here with Midtown Community Center and super grateful to all of you, to Faith Community and and to Megan. Uh, we see the vision coming to fruition and it's beautiful and wonderful. Uh, my name is Albert and I oversee about 90 Nazarene churches all throughout the uh, San Francisco Bay Area all the way up the coast to the Oregon uh border uh, our churches worship in 18 different languages it is super super fun but one of the things that we recognize here in this area is we live in a very post christian secular culture in which the church is not people lo- love and respect Jesus even if you're not a christian people respect Jesus they don't always trust the church uh and so traditional churches uh, like a Sunday morning service where you have people come and worship and and we're serving these different ministries, doesn't always connect us to our neighbors in in the way that it might in other parts of the country or other parts of the world. Uh, so we want to be really innovative in the way that we uh, approach those relationships and build credibility. Uh, so this, what we are doing here is an experiment. It's, it's actually catching on in other parts of the country. So it's a model that we think is, is beautiful where we are stewarding, God's assets, God's resources uh, for a kingdom impact. There's so many ways that a church property can be used other than for a worship service, amen? So uh this is wonderful. Thank you for helping us to pilot that. We've also we're also experimenting uh up in the Napa area with launching a spiritual direction center and housing that within the church as a way to engage lots of people who would like to have a spiritual director but they might not be comfortable coming to church yet. So we're looking at, at creating something like that. Uh in Oakland, we have a, ch- a new church plant called Icon that is building a youth empowerment center within the heart of the city uh in Hayward We have a church that uh, has a warehouse. Uh, where they receive about eight semi-truckloads full of donated goods from Costco and Staples and other big box retailers. This is brand new stuff or recently returned stuff. They have collected almost uh, $3.5 million worth of donated goods and helped almost 20,000 unique individuals within the last three years. We launched this ministry in the middle of the pandemic. And so it's incredible. There are th- uh, four, 45 churches, uh, not, not necessarily Nazarene, all all around the area that come and help unload the trucks, sort the goods, and they are the hands and feet in the face of Jesus to their neighbors who are in need. Maybe there's a family that recently was uh, homeless and finally has, has housing, but they have no furniture. We can furnish that apartment. We can furnish that home through this partnership that we have uh, with these big, big box retailers. So this is all innovation. This is all different creative ways that we can uh, engage our, our non-Christian neighbors with. ...with the good news of Jesus, that Jesus uh, does not only care about the next life, but God cares about this life, right? God is building his kingdom here. And so this is one expression, what is happening here, is one expression of a wider movement that we believe God is doing... ...within the church in Northern California. So I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, let's, let's pray and invite God to speak to us. When we come to church, we're not co- coming just to learn about God. We are coming to have an encounter with God, to experience God, to hear from God... And to respond to God's spirit. So let's uh, pray in that, with that intention. God, thank you for bringing us here uh, this morning. You called us here. And we responded. And uh, we know, Lord Jesus, that you have something good that you want to give to us today. You want to speak to us. Maybe you want to challenge us. Uh, and instruct us. And mobilize us. So whatever that is, Lord. We come with an expectant heart, with a willing heart, with a soft and responsive heart. Speak to us, Lord. We are listening. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. Lord, if we are distracted or hard of hearing today, Lord, would you open up our hearts and our ears. We want what you have to give to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Once again, I do uh, serve in the church of the Nazarene. And uh, as we continue to cultivate this friendship that we have with Faith Community Church, I would love to just share a little bit about what makes us special. Uh, some one of our core convictions today and how that plays out uh, in our faith. We are part of a uh, larger family of Christian churches that share what we call a Wesleyan holiness theological heritage. So some of our sister denominations uh, would include the Salvation Army, the Free Methodist Church, Assemblies of God, Church of God in Christ. There's a whole family of churches that follow in this tradition. And what makes our church is distinct is our emphasis on holiness, on holiness. It's one of our three core values uh, as a denomination. First of all, we are a Christian people. We center our lives around the person and the work and the spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, we are a holiness people, and I'll talk about that today. And we are a missional people. We center not just around gathering, but around mission. So, in fact, the, the uh, forward to the manual of the Church of the Nazarene, which is our, our, our constitution and our doctrinal statement, our bylaws, says that the primary objective of the Church of the Nazarene is to advance God's kingdom by the preservation and the propagation of Christian holiness as set forth in the scriptures. So what does that mean? That means we believe with all of our hearts that God is holy and that God has called us to be a holy people and that God gives us the power to live holy lives. It's all about holiness. We think this is really, really good news for the world. And I want to explore that with you today. Now, first of all, I grew up in a non-Christian uh, immigrant home just outside of Toronto, Canada. And my parents are culturally Buddhist, uh, but we never went to worship at the temple. Uh, we didn't have a family shrine at home. So I really didn't have a religious background. And English is not my parents' first language. So holy for me was a word that you would put in front of other words, to express amazement, right? And and my dad worked really hard to learn English, including all the common idioms and slang. So when he was wowed by something, he would say, holy moly, or he would say, holy cow, or holy smokes. But my favorite was when he would say, holy mackerel. (laughs) I don't know where he picked that up. But it was hilarious, and I think we should bring it back. <laughs> so later, I learned that, that 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 holy has something to do with religion. it meant sacred. Uh, connected to God or angels or the church or, or something like that, but it wasn 't until I became a Christian a lot later in life in my late twenties uh, that I started to appreciate what what the word holy actually means, and once you start exploring holiness, you realize it is a very unique uh, and special and very deep and profound Word that really has no true equivalent in the English language and so we've lost our understanding of words like holy and holiness and I think it's important that we rediscover and reclaim these words these are our words um, especially in these times it, it, it means something it, it, we, we've got to keep this word alive a holiness is it's, it's like the ocean it is uh, it's an idea it's an identity it's a way of being that we can spend our whole lives Exploring, and we feel like we just barely scratched the surface. Because if there is one thing that should uh, be central to our understanding of God, it's that God is holy. It's God's defining attribute. So, what does it mean? Well, in Hebrew, the word is kadosh, which means uh, sacred or set apart. Now, holy, when we're when we're describing God, doesn't mean set apart as in physically separated, like set apart like over there. That's not what we're talking about. We mean set apart as in different uh, from that which is common or special or one of a kind without compare, unique. In other words, when we say God is holy, we mean that uh, no one is good, Like God is good. God is in a class of his own when it comes to his goodness. Or we mean that no one is merciful or just. Like God is merciful and just. No one is creative. Like God is creative. Nobody loves like God loves. God is without equal. There is no one like God. The phrase holy 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 appears twice in the Bible, once in the old Testament, once in the new and a uh, theologian, R.C. Sproul says the Bible says that God is holy, 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 not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 Or mercy, mercy, mercy. Or wrath, wrath, wrath. Or justice, justice, justice. It does say that God is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so the bold claim of the gospel is that God desires to share his holiness with us. Through proximity to God. Because only God can be holy. You can't have two holy things. Or it's not holy anymore. Because it literally means unique. Right? So the only way that we can be holy. Is if God shares his holiness with us. By being in proximity to God. By being in relationship with God. We also can be holy. God's heart can become our heart. God's thoughts can become Our thoughts. And God made a promise to his people through the prophet Ezekiel. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. By drawing near to God, we can become holy as God is holy. But here's the thing about uh, our relationship with God. God is always on the move. So as soon as we draw near to God, we may discover God has moved moved into this place, right? And so that is why uh, we we follow God, right? God is not hiding in a mountain or in a cave, or even in the church. God's not hiding in the church, waiting for us to go and find him. Our God is alive and active in the world, working to renew all of creation through his spirit and through his children. So if we want to draw near to God, we need need to be able to relate to a God who is always in motion. Now, there are times when we need to get away uh, for some alone time. To be with God and be still in his presence. Jesus did this regularly. He withdrew from the crowds to be, to pray in quiet. And we should too. But here's the thing. We don't go to solitary places because that's where God is. Because he's not where we are. We, to Because we want to be where God is. We withdraw because we want to be where people aren't. Right? Not that we don't love people. But sometimes we just want to be with where God is so we can quiet our spirits and gather our thoughts and talk to God face to face. As a person talks with a friend like Moses did, away from all the noise and all the obligations and the distractions of everyday life. So sometimes we do that. But God also meets us in the streets and in our cities among the people that God loves and died for and wants us to serve because God is at work there and he wants us to see what God is doing and 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 to participate in that work so if we really want to know God we got to move with God God says come come Jesus says, follow. The spirit says, go. We worship and we follow and serve the God who moves. Now, the first disciples of Jesus lived this way, right? They they left everything. They followed Jesus. They watched him. They ate with him. They served with him. That's how they learned what God is like, not just from what Jesus said, but from how he lived. And in the very first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, soon after Jesus begins his ministry and starts calling his disciples, we read about this encounter that tells us something very, very important about the heart of God and and the nature of the kingdom. Now, Jesus is, is traveling uh, through Galilee. He's, he's preaching in the synagogues. He's healing the sick. He's driving out demons. And we read in Mark 1, uh, verse 40, very very soon into the gospel of Mark, we read that a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved With compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed and Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you've been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word anyway, (laughs) proclaiming to everyone what had happened. And as a result, large crowds... Soon surrounded Jesus and you couldn't publicly enter a town anymore. Can you imagine not being able to go to any place anymore? Because before you even get there, there's like thousands of people waiting. You can't even get in, right? So he had to stay out in the secluded places. But people from everywhere kept coming to him. Now, I want to show a video from the, the series, The Chosen, which gives us a, a sense, a creative retelling of, of what this might have been like, right? What, what was this encounter like? And I want you to, as we watch this, pay attention to the different people in this encounter. What do you notice about the way that Jesus responds to the man with leprosy? How does the man respond to Jesus? And what's going on with the disciples? How do, how do they respond? And as you watch, I want you to think about how you are responding. How are you responding as you watch this scene? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And what does this encounter tell us about God's heart, what God's kingdom is like, and how God moves in the world? Think about uh, how this scene affirms or deepens our understanding about the holiness of God. What, what's going on in this scene, and what's going on in your heart, and what do we learn about God? Let's watch together. Not to or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. Ah! It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 Rabbi you, you can't Please. Please. Thank you. <laughs> I, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. What can I, what can I ever do? now do not say anything to anyone. You don't seek your own honor? Please just do me this one thing. But, but what do I tell people? yourself to the priest. Let him inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. (laughs) Where's an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. Oh. <laughs> Not too shabby. <laughs> In Jesus' day, people believed that be holy and pure you had to avoid touching anything related to death whether that was a person or a thing or a particular activity and if you did come into contact with death there were rituals that you could perform so you could be clean again but lepers were a living embodiment of death Leprosy is mentioned over 40 times in the Bible. It was considered the most serious disease at the time. People believed that God inflicted the curse of leprosy on people as punishment for their sins. They were so feared and despised that they were not allowed to live in any community except with other lepers. And they had to wear, wear uh, torn clothes. They had to cover their upper lip stay at least six feet away from other humans. So wear a face covering and social distance. And if the wind was blowing, they had to stay at least 150 feet away. In other words, quarantine. And whenever somebody came near, they had to shout, unclean, unclean. And there was no cure for leprosy. You stayed away until you either got better on your own or you died and one of the very first things that Mark records in his gospel is that while Jesus was traveling with his disciples preaching and healing people and casting out demons a leper came up and kneels at Jesus' feet breaking the rules begging to be healed And Jesus moved with compassion, reached out, and touched him. And instead of being contaminated by this man's sin and disease, Jesus pours life and health into his body, and the man is healed. Now Mark records this as happening early in Jesus' ministry, I think Jesus wanted His disciples and wants us to understand something very, very important about the heart of God, about the nature of the kingdom, about the power of the gospel. God is holy. And there is no one like God. No one sees us like God sees us. No one loves us like God loves us. God is holy. God is without equal. God is without compare. And God, because God is holy, moves toward sin and death, toward suffering, not away from it. Not away from our sin, not away from our brokenness and away from our suffering. Holiness is not about avoiding the ugly and weak and frightening things about this world. For a lot of, a lot of people think that's what it is. I'm so holy. I can't do that thing. Right. But holiness is about engaging. The brokenness of the world. Healing. It's about transforming. Jesus, because he is holy, sees us in our distress, is filled with compassion, reaches out, and touches us. And we see this pattern all over scripture. When the first humans sinned in the garden, God went looking for them. Where are you? Now, I think these three words actually capture when I read that passage, it's like it's like history pivots on these three words. Where are you? It it sums up the, the human condition. We're lost. Where are you? It sums up the whole trajectory of scripture. God's searching for us. We are lost. We don't know who we are. We we don't know where we are. And God moves towards us calling, seeking, saving, redeeming, restoring. Until as we read in the very last pages of Revelation. This is where all history is going. Until we dwell with God. Until God is with us and we are with God. That's where history is going. And in Exodus, God calls to Moses through a burning bush and says, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down. To rescue them and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing of milk and honey. God, because he is holy, is filled with compassion and moves toward his people. Jesus said that a man who owns a hundred sheep is going to leave the 99 to go after the one who is lost. He said a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one will turn the whole house upside down until she finds it. He says that the son of man came to seek and save the lost Jesus because he is holy moves towards us in our suffering. When we are lost, when we are hurting God is holy. God is not like us. God is not repulsed by us, by our sins, by our past, by our pain. Whatever you have done, God is not repulsed by you. He will not shut you out. In fact, your brokenness has compelled God to move toward you. Christ has come so that his holiness, his goodness, his love, his grace, his mercy might touch you. And make you whole. And So we don't need to feel terrible about ourselves. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. And we shouldn't be condemning ourselves. God knows we are hungry. God knows we are needy. God knows we are weak. God knows we are hurting. And so God knows our sins. And he's turned his face toward us. And drawn near to us so that we might be healed. He is willing. And he is able. What we need to understand about the kingdom of God and how we live as Christians. Is that it is not sin and brokenness and sickness that is contagious. It is holiness that is contagious. It is love and grace and goodness that is contagious. But there's more to all of this than the character of God. Because Jesus doesn't just call us to follow him so that we can be healed, but so that the world can be healed. Whatever Jesus taught, whatever he did, however he treated people, he says to us, now you go and do likewise. In the first few chapters of Mark, we read Jesus doing one incredible thing after another. He's preaching about the kingdom of God. He's casting out evil spirits. He's healing the sick. And huge crowds are following him everywhere. And we read in Mark chapter 3 that Jesus goes up on a mountainside and he calls to himself, it says, those he wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And Matthew adds a little more detail in his gospel. Saying that Jesus also gives the twelve the authority to heal the sick. And to raise the dead and to cleanse those who have leprosy. And I love that Mark records that Jesus went up on a mountainside. And called to himself those he wanted. It doesn't tell us why Jesus chose these people. We don't know. They're, they're they're pretty ordinary, right? Several of them were fishermen. How did you become a fisherman? You flunked at a rabbi school, and so you just go home and you just do what your father did, right? You didn't. You weren't good enough. Matthew was a tax collector. Simon the Zealot was a religious and political radical. Judas turned out to be a thief. These are not the cream of the crop. <laughs> They're the ones that Jesus wanted. And chances are, if you're here today, if you're watching online later, you're also the one that Jesus wanted. You are the one that Jesus wants. You are the one that Jesus wants to be part of his family. The one Jesus wants to be with him and to join his revolution of holiness. You are the one that Jesus wants to use to bring about heaven on earth. You're that person. I don't know why. I don't even think that's the point. The important thing is he chose you. You are the one Jesus wants. Holy people are just people who spend enough time with Jesus that God's nature begins to rub off on them. They begin to think and act like their master, not because they're better than anyone else, but they've just been changed by their proximity to God. They just spent time with Jesus and they've been changed by that. And Jesus didn't only share his presence with his disciples. He shared his power because he wanted them to participate in what God was doing. He wanted his His holiness to be extended through his followers. And so just as Jesus welcomed the untouchables, the lepers of his day and touched their lives, we are also to be agents of hospitality, of compassion and healing for people on the margins, the poor, the sick. The outcasts. I want to share a quick story about a, a friend of mine. His name is Chris Wong. And he was a member of the church that my wife, Christine, and I pastored in Southern California for 15 years. Beautiful man. He's a pharmacist. And we used to go down to Skid Row. Uh, it's the largest you know, homeless population in the country. Uh, and, uh, and, and sometimes we would just go down and we would, we would love on people and uh, feed them. Maybe pass out clothing. Just spend some time with them. Sometimes we just talk. Uh, and this one time we were we were serving. This is at a Thanksgiving meal, and there was this man who came up that um, could could not walk. Something was wrong with his legs. We never quite found out what, but he couldn't walk. And he, and and when he would try to eat, his hands were shaking, and he could not lift. Literally, could not get the food to his mouth before it all kind of fell off the fork. And so Chris got down on his knees and held the plate, and literally became a living table to help this man to eat and he didn't know that I I was on the side I just said I just saw Christ I saw Christ in my brother Chris I saw Christ in this man that he was serving and I thought I I want to remember this moment he became the table of God he became the hands and feet of Jesus to help this man to eat and it was he didn't think anything of it to Chris, this was an ordinary thing to do, but I thought it was a good expression of what it means for us to identify with people on the margins, to, to draw toward people who have been outcast, who are suffering rather than away from. Holy people have a bias toward action because that's who God is. God is in motion and so are we. Holy people understand that love is not a noun. It's a verb. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, Come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Holy people who have spent time with a holy God, we don't just feel sympathy Like we don't just feel bad for people who suffer. We are moved to compassion because compassion literally, the word literally means to suffer with. That's what the word compassion means. Now, most of us avoid suffering, but holy people understand that God's love is long-suffering love. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 8, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. And here's where I want to end up here. Some Christians. In their faithfulness. In their obedience to God. And God's call on their lives. Are going to suffer. Greatly. For the gospel. Because God is going to give them. A heart for the broken and the suffering. And they are going to identify with the least of these. And they will suffer with them. God says, who will go for me? And these people will say, here I am, Lord, send me. And if that's you, I want, to, I want you to know that the work that God is calling you to do will be hard. It will break your heart. Your body will be worn down from the strain. But you are going to know Jesus in a way that many of us won't. In a much deeper way. You're not going to be trying to prove anything to anyone. You are simply going to follow Jesus into dark places. And in that place, your light will shine. Holy people do not recoil from the brokenness of the world. They move toward it in love. We are not set apart from the world. We are set apart for the world. So the question is, to whom will you go? Who are you called to touch, to embrace, to engage with the love of God, so that the holiness of God may spread to every corner of the earth? This is how we as Nazarenes understand our identity and our mission. And I wanted to share that with you today. And to thank you for helping us to continue that legacy here in Santa Cruz. This church has a long history. And the work is continuing through you. And we're grateful for your partnership. You are my sisters and my brothers. We are family. And if I could be so bold, I want just want to dub you all like honorary Nazarenes today. All right? Let's pray. God, you are holy. So holy. You are holy, holy, holy. And because you are holy, you move toward the broken, towards the suffering, towards disease and death, toward us. And you embrace us. And you heal us. And God, to be a disciple means that we want to be like our rabbi in every way. So we want you, Lord, to share your holiness with us. That when we come into people's lives and we embrace and we touch, that they are healed, not because of us, but because of your goodness, your holiness, your power flowing through us into their lives. Help us to understand that we are not set apart from the world. We have been set apart for the world. Send us, God. Touch us and touch people through us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.